I'm Kyle Rode, and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, rebelhumanresources.com, or follow me on Twitter at Rebel HR Guy. Each week we'll be discussing topics that are disruptive to the world of work and talk about new and different ways to approach solving those problems. Right now, Human Resources is being called on more than ever to be a business partner and a value-added resource to help our team succeed. I'm excited for our guest today. We're going to be speaking with two founders of a diversity-focused professional and executive talent solution partner, Anthony Arrington and Nick Ford. Anthony has too long of a bio for me to cover here. He does a number of different things. He is very involved in his community, serves on several nonprofit organizations. He's a civil rights commissioner, serves on the Eastern Iowa Human Resources Association Board, He is also the co-host of a podcast called Diversity Straight Up. Nick Ford is also joining us today. Nick was born and raised in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. After graduating high school, he joined the U.S. Navy in their nuclear power program. In 2008, he shifted back into the private sector. He also volunteers in a number of nonprofits, Boys and Girls Club, staunch advocate for individuals achieving their highest potential. He is host of the video series Breaking Barriers, a top rank production. Nick and Anthony are here representing Top Rank Talent Solutions. You can find more information about the organization at toprankedtalentsolutions.com. Well, I'm extremely excited to welcome Anthony and Nick uh, here to the podcast. I'm joined by Molly Burdess, my co-host for this series, and uh, we're going to be talking about Diversity, equity, and inclusions. So I think it would be best to just start off with how your organization came into being and, and what is your focus. Anthony, why don't you start? Sure, sure. Thank, first of all, thanks, Kyle and Molly, for having us. We appreciate it. Appreciate hanging out with you on your podcast. And uh, congratulations on getting this off the ground. So Top Rank, we're headquartered in Cedar Rapids. We are a, a, an employee, employment agency of two right now. Um, but we started, oh, just a, a quick story, we started, actually, Friday will be two years to the date. Uh, we incorporated July 10th, 2018. We started this company, uh, Kyle and Molly, because uh, I was working in staffing. I, I worked for an organization in staffing for about the five, about five, almost five years before this. And uh, I spent a lot of time in manufacturing. About 75% of my clients were manufacturing and another 25% was uh, financial services and other various organizations. But every time I walked into a manufacturing plant, um, I rarely ever saw people that looked like me. Um, and if I did, they were the laborers. I really didn't see a lot of people in leadership positions. I never saw women in leadership, rarely ever. If I did, they were in the office and human resources, which that's 80% female. So it needs some male activity. Go Kyle, right? <laughs> um, but um, so, you know, it just sort of jaded me over time. You know, I, I'm used to growing up white in Iowa. I mean, growing up black in Iowa. Did you hear that? <laughs> there. I'm used to growing up a black and Iowa and being the only one a lot of times. So it wasn't, but now I'm in a position where I'm putting other people to work. You know, it just began to jade me that I wasn't really seeing a lot of uh, minority or female uh, 
representation. And so I think the scrawl that broke the camel's back for me and made me know I'm probably going to do something else was I was meeting with a client um, near, near the Waterloo area. And I remember sitting in front of him. We were having a conversation about what their needs were, how much they're going to pay the temporary workers, a lot, a lot. And then he looks across the desk at me and he says, now keep in mind, this is a general manager of a company. And he says, Anthony, appreciate your time. He goes, I think we can work together. He goes, but I, I got to be clear. Uh, we, we can't have even those Chicago people here. Uh, they come in here and they, they come into Waterloo and they sell their drugs and they come and work for two days and they leave. And I, I can't have any of that. And it was such a coded conversation and it took every bit of me not to get up and walk away. Um, but I did my job. I, I said, I understand you want quality talent. And I tried to talk around it. But here was a here was a a grown white man leading a company, looking across the table at me. And I think he assumed I was one of the good black guys. So he could talk to me that way. And it was such coded language that I just don't want black people like that working in my company. Um, and I, I, that, that was one of those moments where I'm like, this is, we, we got to do something about this. I mean, this is leaders. These are leaders that are thinking this way and they are making decisions on people's livelihood. So, you know, I, I knew at some point I was probably going to be doing something else. I, I had been gotten to a point with my company that it was really about numbers and it wasn't really about people anymore. And I just wasn't comfortable. I know we have to figure out how to spend a dollar and make two or spend a dollar and make a dollar fifty. But um, it just felt like a numbers game. It wasn't a people game to me anymore. And uh, so as I was thinking about my next move, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was continuing to work. Nick Ford, my partner on the phone here, uh, called me out of the blue uh, one day and, and says, He's been thinking, Nick and I grew up together. We didn't really hang out a lot growing up, but we knew each other pretty well. Um, and Nick had moved back to Iowa. He's a 21-year military vet um, from the Navy, and he had moved back from Iowa. And, and Nick and his family are pretty passionate about diversity. Um, they grew up in Cedar Rapids and spent time around a lot of diverse populations. And Nick, being a, a military vet, he traveled a lot, and his wife was a teacher everywhere they went. And so uh, she taught a lot, a lot of times in urban centers and urban communities. And so They've always had a passion for diversity. Nick was doing some um, some uh, work with USA Swimming. He was a diversity liaison. And, and we see some of the challenges in our community. And Nick saw challenges himself uh, at an employment. Maybe he'll talk about that. But he saw challenges being a military vet and the, and the hurdles he had go, going through with PTSD and those sorts of things. And so Nick called me out of the blue one day and, and says, hey, Anthony, I know you've been doing things in the community. You know, you ever think about starting a search firm that's focused on diversity and inclusion? And, and that's really your market avenue? And I said, no. Nah. I said, I, I do that all the time. I'm advocating for people of color. I'm advocating for lower socioeconomic folks. But I never thought of it as a business model. No. And so he's like, yeah, you know, think about that. Is there anybody really doing that? You know, we could focus and we could, you know, be the recruiting recruiter company of choice that's looking for companies looking for people of color, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, that's a good idea. I don't, you know, got paycheck, you know, got job, you know, <laughs> really starting a business. Right. So, so literally about two days later, my, one of my uh, cousins called me with the same conversation, literally about the exact same conversation. You know, have you ever thought about starting this a firm that's focused on diverse leaders and diverse executives? I was like, no, but Nick just called me a couple of days. Said, do you, did you talk to Nick? And they don't know each other. They do, but not really just through Facebook. And so I said, let's go have a beer at Buffalo Wild Wings and, and let's talk about this. And off we went, you know, it really started in uh, in a Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, so they, we, we kind of built a plan. We bought another partner in and we incorporated in July. And, um, and so we've been rolling ever since. We're, we're two years in. We're, we're still building the plane as we fly it. 
Um, but it's it's been fun. Uh, we've had some some transition. We, we Nick and I bought out our other two partners um, and, and wish them well. And uh, we rebranded our marketing over the last couple of months. And, and we're just here trying to trying to make a difference, man. That's great. What a great story. I've had a lot of conversations at Buffalo Wild Wings. None of them led to a diversity yeah. and inclusion focused executive <laughs> recruiting firm. <laughs> it was a good glass of beer that That's they had. Great. <laughs> Nick, tell me a little bit about what prompted you to reach out to Anthony and ultimately uh, pursue this uh, dream of yours. Well, so like Anthony said, you know, uh, a lot of time in the military I spent in Norfolk, Virginia, Newport News, Hampton areas, some areas up around Albany, New York, and, and D.C. areas, and, and down Florida. And, and I was one of the abnormal sailors, I'd say. We pull into a port. Most most sailors go right to the first bar they can get to. So I go experience the culture and wanted to learn more about the culture. So it was always kind of ingrained in me that way. Um, when I moved back home, I tried to do some other things to kind of help the community out. But, but again, like Anthony says, yeah. You know, I just saw a lacking. There just wasn't something right, you know. When, and I'm a big stats guy. And when you see numbers like uh, proportionary, you know, um, what's the right word here? Uh, a a non-proportionate uh, job hiring or jailings or whatever you want to call it across the board. You know, I, to me, it's what can I do to fix it? What can I do to help change that? Um, so. So I knew Anthony, you know, was always looking to try and do something. We always wanted to do something together after I moved back and, and reconnected. And, and I just thought this was a great opportunity uh, with our other, other partners at the time as well to kind of, you know, make, make a difference. Um, started in our backyard and kind of broached our way out. We did some research and saw that, like Anthony said, there's really no one else doing the way we are. Um, you know, and we have some good connections and networks, and we thought we'd, we'd make a go of it. And we've had some ups and downs along the way, of course, like any startup. Uh, as a business, um, but you know we continue to plot along and and uh, are really picking up the scene here. Uh, it's kind of unique with, with what's going on in the world right now, um, both both uh, from a diversity standpoint and from a pandemic standpoint. Um, we got some nerves about that as well, but uh, there are some industries, financial uh, industry being one of them, that's that's still hiring quite a bit. So so even it seems like this is even pandemic proof almost to a, to an extent. So. Um, I, you know, I, I love working with the, 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 the when the four of us got together to begin with, and then the two of us now, and it's just been it's been uh, a lot of fun, and uh, you know, we just continue to keep kind of pushing that edge and and how uh, how we can make a difference in getting companies to realize that they need to make a difference, um, and and not just make plans but actually action on them, and and see where we can take this to. Ideally, you know, someday maybe our job's not needed. That'd be that'd be great. Yeah, work ourselves out of a job. If we can work ourselves out of a job, I'd be a happy camper because it means we can be a in the world around us. Good um, point. You know, if we didn't have to give training on diversity and inclusion and we didn't have to force uh, companies to see the light of hiring diverse talent. Do um, training and development as well as recruiting, is it pretty 50-50? Yeah, well, yeah. So we we started the company. We, we started out as traditional staff recruiters. Um, but we quickly realized that we we could train and develop. And so um, we're doing them both. I would say right now it's probably about 50-50, but we're getting a lot more calls about consulting and training. And um, Nick and I are both uh, training for our, our CDE license. Uh, we're going to be certified here this year. And we partner with another uh, really good friend of mine, a, a colleague of mine, Sarika Baca. I co-host the Diversity Straight Up podcast with her. 
And uh, so we really wanted to, to see that side of the business because I think I, I think there's a combination of life experience and professional experience that you can't replace. Um, and also Nick and I know that we, as minority-owned company, we, we try to walk our walk. So um, I'm an African-American male. Nick's a 51-year-old white guy. Whoever thought they'd be together owning a company. Uh, what people don't know about Nick and I is we both have legal disabilities. We're both disabled. Um, Nick's a military veteran. Um, so uh, I, I'm in a biracial marriage uh, with, with biracial children. So when you talk about diversity and equity, we don't only walk it, we, we live it. You know, I think our experiences and, and our formal training has, has really helped us on both sides of the fence from a recruiting and a retention and training, equity training and development standpoint. Well, I love that because really, I mean, getting these people in the door, that's the diversity part, right? But the training yeah. is the inclusion part and you can't have one without the other fails. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my right. question is, what's what's been the most challenging thing that you guys have faced this far? challenging to get companies to understand the value of diversity. And so I think that that's been surprising to get companies. It's been a little more surprising than I expected to get companies to, to buy into that. Post George Floyd, um, many companies are coming out of the woodwork. Um, right. And so the challenge is a little different now and that's managing expectations because what we don't want to do and is we don't want companies to put themselves out there and get in a position where they're just trying to check a box. Oh my God, you know, we're, we're in this racial tension stage. We need to do something right. It's not a short fix. It's a journey when you talk about diversity and equity, inclusion and engagement. And so, um, but I, I would say the back office work uh, and the fact that we really couldn't get people to understand and, and, and now we are, it's kind of a different challenge. I just, just to piggyback on that a little bit, you know, he kind of mentioned, you know, managing expectations of these companies and, and we've had and we've had companies we we turned down, which is as a startup, it's awful hard to do, um, because like you mentioned earlier, it's not just about recruiting; it's about retaining too. And some of these companies are they're just not in that place. So that's why we kind of continue to develop the training and the consultation side is to help to get these companies ready where they can have diverse talent and retain them. Uh, you yeah. know, the worst thing we can have is you know we we let's say we bring in a a, a Navy vet. Uh, with disabilities to a company, and then within a year they want to leave. Well, guess what? The, the word gets around. Then you can't. Then you can't hire them anymore. You can't hire that disabled type of vet anymore. And and I just think that you know if we can help companies get to where they're ready, wherever they're at in the journey, wherever they're at, what a step they're at in the process, move on to that next step and that next step and get to where they're finally, you know, one of those model DNI companies out there. Um, that, that's been that's been a challenge as well. Uh, getting companies to realize that, like Andy said, it's a continual journey. It's not just a, a shot in the arm, it's not a Band-Aid, it's a continual journey. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I think the phrase that you used, Anthony, was check the box. Mm-hmm. And in my experience in the world of HR, it's that's so commonly how we treat diversity. You know, yeah. it's a, do we have a diversity statement? Yes. Okay, yeah. check that box. Yeah. You know, do we have X percent of racial diversity on our staff? Okay, check that box. As opposed right. to looking at it on a broader strategic level. Right. It, you know, and a couple, I mean, a couple comments I would make on the business case. If you just Google business case for inclusion, you're going to yeah. see a, a million different responses. But it is surprising to me how many businesses don't understand that there is a compelling business case here. Right. But it's also yeah, just the right thing to do, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I always say, you know, I understand every CEO 
wants to, you know, they need to learn how to spend a dollar and make two. That's their, that's a mindset, right? How do, how do I spend a dollar and make two? You know, my, my philosophy is leadership C-suite. Can you spend a dollar and make a dollar 75 today? Because if you do the right thing, you'll make $3 tomorrow. And so it's difficult to, to, to get that point across to, to individuals or organizations who, who may look like they're in good shape today, right? The, the P&L, the bottom line is looking really good and the products are selling and the services are, are doing well, but there's always something wrong. Um, and it's, it's almost like a ticking time bomb at some point. Um, if you're not on the train and understanding the value of diversity, equity, inclusion and engagement, you're, you're, going, to get, you're going to get kicked off the train at some point. That's the, that's tough to get organizations to understand the long game, right? Speaking it's, of checking the box, do you have, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on affirmative action plans. If they're helpful, if they're hurting, I mean, what's, what are your thoughts? That's a good question. Um, it's funny, Seneca and I, my other partner, we were having that um, conversation. I, I believe they have value, but I don't believe that they should be the end-all be-all. In fact, many companies are getting rid of them. I think you need to use quotas in a in a way that drives that drives mindset as opposed to that drives metric. Because if all you're going to do is look at numbers, so you're really not even thinking about what you're supposed to be doing. You're thinking about hitting a number instead of we need to have a diverse and equitable company. What can we do to change mindset and hearts? You're right back to the check in the box. Yeah, you, you get right back to it. Um, and I believe in intentionality. And unlike affirmative action, I believe if, if you understand where you're at from a demographic standpoint, if you need to hire more African-Americans, say it and build a business case for it. Right. Let your let your team and your organization understand that's not being discriminatory. It's a fact that you have a limited number of minorities or a limited number of LGBTQ or whatever that underserved population is. And it is very much okay to be intentional about that, but it's your approach, obviously following HR laws, but is it your approach to how you hire diverse talent and what your internal structure is built up to, to be ready for? So I'll give you an example. Um, and I, I got a call the other, I got a call last week from a, an Asian woman in Cedar Rapids. She works for a company in town and she got a call. She's a marketing, uh, marketing specialist. They were supposed to put together a, a flyer, or excuse me, a, a postcard, six by nine postcard with all their vendors that they do work with and send it out a thank you for all you do. Uh, we really appreciate you sticking with us through COVID-19, all these things, right? She gets a call at about 11 o'clock at night, she tells me, and it was from her marketing manager who says, hey, I, I saw the flyer. I just looked at it. You don't have any black faces in there. Why not? And keep in mind the the marketing Specialist, she's an Asian herself. She's a, a minority herself. And she says to her manager, well, I, you know, we don't have any black suppliers that work with us. I, we don't have any, but there's an Asian person in the picture. And the marketing manager's like, no, you need to, you need to get, find a black face. So find somebody black to put in there and don't make it be a token. You got to find somebody. And when she hung up the phone, she didn't do anything that night. She went in the next day to talk to her manager. And she said, I can't, I can't do that. You're asking me to falsify something. And, and so they got into the back and forth and they ended up what they ended up doing was the specialist refused to put the black face in, but they removed one white face and put a logo in the picture. So it lessened the number of white people. Right. And when she called me about that, she someone gave her my name to call to talk about it because she didn't know what to do. She ended up filing a complaint with HR. And I don't know where they're at now. This was just about two weeks ago. So I told her, just keep me posted. 
But what I also told her was this is a learning moment for you and your manager, because I believe your manager wanted to do the right thing. Right. I believe they understood what they were trying to do. What your manager was trying to do, as Nick said, was to give you a shot in the arm to make us uh, make us look good. And the optics are just terrible. And it would really be terrible in today's you know, post George Floyd era. And so I, I told the specialist to let HR do their pro- run their process. There's other avenues that you can take if you feel harassed and you feel um, intimidated by your manager because you refuse to do that. But what's important here, I said, take this as an opportunity to teach. Can you teach? Because I believe your manager's heart was in the right place. They just don't know how to manage internally. And that, so what Nick was saying, if you're not set up inside, you're just bringing in a revolving door and you're hiring a token. Right? And that's not what this company needed to do. And so I think that's important. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, another way, the, the way I look at affirmative action is it, at the time when it was created, it, 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 it was necessary. It was absolutely necessary to have happen, but it was a yeah. starting point. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't supposed to be an end-all, be-all. It was a starting point. And again, it's just a lot of people just stopped at that and they didn't continue on with right. the whole meaning of, of, of making it. And, you know, again, if you use affirmative action, there's no, there's no engagement and there's no equity there. It's just, it's just diversity. Right. There's no inclusion required there. It's just, it's just, it's a numbers. So, yeah. you know, what we, what we're telling people is, you know, let's take it to that next level. Let's, let's, it's great that you had that plan, but let's move beyond that. Let's transcend up to the next level of where these where folks that you bring in that are different than you that are they're included. You know, they're they felt welcome and, and they're they're valued and and they get in positions of leadership. You know, that, that's our yeah. goal. Our, when we it was really about getting underrepresented people in positions of, of decision making levels because then you take out that I you know I mean it, it's just everyone if the research has been done that you're more likely to hire someone like you. And if you're a decision maker, well, most decision makers are middle-aged white men. So what normally gets hired for positions of leadership? Middle-aged white man. So let's get beyond that and let's realize, let's be intentional about bringing in some decision makers and, and yeah. getting people to the next level that aren't normally represented at those levels. Yeah. And, and so that was really our, our big motivation right there. It was really yeah. at the leadership level. So, yeah. I think there's value in affirmative action, but it's got to be coupled with, with heart. I think you can put numbers in you have to lead with your heart and your mindset and don't lead with the metric. Good stuff. Good question, Molly. Well, Anthony, you brought up, and I love that you brought it up, there's employment laws that say we can and can't ask certain things, right, and do certain things, which is great. Um, thing that keep that I keep coming back to, and it makes sense, is the I don't see color um, mm-hmm. because that's how I was raised. And what I'm what I'm learning is that's not the right thing to do because that's ignoring every experience or the experience that, you know, black individuals within our country have had to face. But I guess where I keep getting stuck is what does that look like in our world, in our business world? Sure. Sure. No, I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, And it's funny. I I remember, you know, I would say up and I will be honest with you probably up until 10 years ago, when I would hear that phrase from, from my folks, I would, it made sense to me, right? I don't, I don't see color, you know, it took me a long time to realize that, but it's such a red flag, right? It's, it's, um, it's a saying that I am, that I am, I don't see color. Everybody's the same, assumes that we're all homogenous, right? And that is the antithesis of diversity itself, right? Look diversity up in the dictionary and it says the differences, right? So if we all are, you don't see color, you're not being honest with yourself. Everybody sees color. It's 
how you deal with color, right? How you deal with melanin in your skin. As I think about it from a from a workplace standpoint, um, particularly people that are in hiring and decision making power, where they're bringing talent in. Um, you, Nick said it earlier, building the culture around around diverse talent, right? And that could be diverse regionally, geographically, um, but we, we know that most of it is around ethnicity and race, and we understand that. And so, getting your company set set up for that. Um, Last thing you want to do is ignore somebody's color, ignore somebody's oppression because it's there and it's in your face every day. And you can equate that if you take that back to uh, to uh, slavery, post-slavery, and even in the Jim Crow eras, right? In slavery, you had you had field cotton pickers and you had house slaves, right? The house slaves, that's what they would call them. And, and they would treat them well. They would get more food. They would maybe live a little better. And it, it was like family. Like, really, it was like... Um, like a yeah. Stockholm syndrome, right? So, and everything's fine until that slave asks for something. And then all of a sudden they were right back to where they were. No, just because you thought you had it good, you're still a slave, you're still under control. Same thing during the Jim Crow era where it was black, separate, but equal, right? I could walk into the same store as, as you. Molly in the store would talk to me and say hi to me. How's your Sunday? And everything's fine. But if I look funny at a white woman in that store, suddenly I'm still that black guy, right? And so that is the equivalent of a non-racist. We get along, we get along well, but we know that you're different than us and you're less than. Um, and as long as you stay there, that's okay. As long, and we can get along in the world. Don't stir anything up, right? And so a non-racist avoids stirring things up, right? They, they, avoid stir, they avoid challenging the status quo. They would rather just say, that's not me. I'm a non-racist. Uh, an anti-racist will challenge that. Um, they will challenge that at the water cooler at the office. They'll challenge that at the family picnic. They'll challenge that at the Christmas party when they hear Uncle Jimmy telling black jokes or something like that, right? That in lies a difference. You don't allow these things to happen. To your, to your point, yeah, the, the I don't see color, it's a red flag. When you say racist and curious, do you see that as um, a person or an action that that person is doing? Good question. Um, both. It's, it, you, you can have racist actions, right, that, that portray your racist. Um, and it's such a charged word anyway. It's, it's such a charged term, right? Um, but it's a difficult term that we have to talk about. So that, that term racist, it, it could be a verb or a noun. Yeah, when people bring it up, it's immediately like you get on your defenses, which isn't yeah. helping anything. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's exactly. And that's um, even using the word white man, right? Having, having to use that word in everyday conversation, if we're honest about it, that creates tension in some people. Just, just saying the word, right? It, it, it immediately sometimes just throws up that, oh, they must be talking about me. No, we're talking about white men in general, right? Not you, right? The same thing is if, when you say, it's, it's funny, right? It's, it's interesting. I've been in situations where uh, one of my white friends maybe trying to describe somebody they saw and they'll say it was the black guy. And you can see, I can almost see it in their eye. They don't, they think they said something offensive to me and you did it, right? You just, the guy was black, but it's the mindset, right? And so that's what Nick and I uh, try to, to keep in mind. How do we change the mindset? Because if you don't change the mindset, those impulsive decisions and thoughts will continue and they, and they affect decision-making, so. One, one question in that same context, in, in some circles, there is a, a very strong reaction to the term white privilege. 
So, mm-hmm. so what is your perspective on on that term? You know, I'm just curious on on what your opinion is on on people who feel like that term is offensive. Yeah, they they, <laughs> they need to get over it quick. It's funny, you know, as Anthony was talking about this stuff, I was like you. I, I had that same. I was colorblind, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And but with the white privilege, that one just torched me when people get upset about that because. It, yes, there's also such a thing as maybe a good privilege, and there's other privileges out there. But when it comes to a difference between the skin of our color, you know, the color of our skin, I don't walk out there the door thinking if a, a police officer pulls me over today, I got to act differently. I don't think that uh, when I go up for promotion, I, I, it's not that I don't think that it might not affect anyone else. I don't think that it's going to affect. There's no thought. It's just, it's, it's done without a thought. There's no right. action of having to think about it, doing anything different in my life because of the color of my skin. Right. And, and I think that if people don't understand that, then, wow, That's uh, they, need to learn quick. they need some education quick because. That's where we come in. It's just, it, the numbers just show different. <laughs> I mean, it's just, the numbers show that, that there is. You know, it's a, it's a charged term, Kyle. It's uh, again one of those one of those charged words, right? When we say white privilege, and particularly in in today's society, the oftentimes the response is, you know, well, I worked hard for everything I got. You know, I, everybody, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But what white privilege is is referring to, and 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 it's the honest truth. If we're going to have these difficult conversation, is because of the society that we live in. That's that treats white as other or greater or more than that becomes privilege from birth right it's not it's given to you as an almost a natural uh, a natural privilege right and so what happens is when you have those conversations oftentimes i shouldn't say often but a lot of times there's this defense mechanism going up you can't be talking about me right yeah, I am talking about you. You didn't ask to have privilege. Everybody has privileges in certain places of, the, of life, in certain stages of life. I have privileges that you don't have. There are certain people I can talk to. There are certain communities I can go and live and work in. There are certain places you can't go. There are certain places you wouldn't be caught dead at 11 o'clock at night that maybe Anthony would or maybe Nick would, right? We all have different privileges. My privilege is a real privilege. It's just one privilege, right? But it's an important privilege when you're in this space. You can't ignore it when you're talking about diversity and equity. But everybody in life has privileges of some sort, right? I feel pretty, you know, I feel I have privileges that some of my bathrooms don't have. So it's contextualizing it, but it's a charge form and it creates defensiveness. But that's part of that difficult conversation that, that we must get through. We must acknowledge that. We must talk about it. Um, we must accept that and then ask ourselves, what can we do with that privilege? If I was a white person, what can I do with that privilege? I know I have it. Now I acknowledge that I have it. Or what can I do to leverage that, right? Uh, I'm curious to, to shift the focus. So, yeah. you know, a, a lot of times we talk about the business case. We talk about, you know, some of these really challenging terms. I, I agree 100%. It really needs to start from a point of honesty and in clarity and and truly wanting to to change a, a system so what have you seen as you've been working with your clients what have you seen them do what actions are organizations taking what what works 
with most of the organizations we're working with, and I, and I would say really in the, in the past six months, there's been more honesty in the conversations. And I even say that before George Floyd, um, before, before that situation. We've been having some honest conversations, and I think there are some leaders, and, and I'm thinking of the several leaders that we've had on our podcast over the past year. Um, we've had leaders from Fortune 500 companies, and we've had leaders from small credit unions. And I think what I'm, I'm hearing more as I talk to leaders is there, I tend to be hearing more humility, um, more, more change in approach from organizations from the top when we can have those conversations. And I think that's a good thing. I, I'm, the other thing that I'm, I think is changing, and, and this is probably post George Floyd, but young people, young people having opportunities, young people with seats at the table, I'll give my I'll give my mayor of Cedar Rapids credit, even though we're at odds with each other. But I but I would give credit where credit's due. And that is he was creating a youth mayor council. Right. Um, to get youth and get young people to understand municipality and policy and city policy. And we need more of that because decisions. I don't really care what decision or what you do in your life. Something is driven by a policy. Right. And so having more diversity uh, when it comes to policy is important, just like having more diversity in an organization is. I would just add on, and I hope it continues, is there, there seems to be a little more urgency behind it. Um, I mean, you know, this has been going on 400 plus years, so it's not going to get fixed overnight. And I think people, the other thing we need to keep telling people, we keep, we keep stressing is it's a journey. Right. Be urgent in taking the journey and move to the next step but it's still a journey. You can't just go from, from A to Z overnight. Right. And, you know, because you, if you do that, you skip the, that's where you end up with that retention issue. You skip those yeah. key steps of, of setting things up. But it seems like there's a little bit more earth now. Um, yeah. You know, with, with George Floyd happening, it's bringing even, how it had, wasn't aware before, I don't know, yeah. but it, it's, it's bringing enough awareness now where even people, yeah. here's an example, right? Here's an example. Um, the, the young man in Atlanta, the one with the taser. I, I'm great at playing devil's advocate. I can make it a case where, yeah, he was kind of, he put himself in a bad situation. Still not great how the re- results, how that event unfurled and really horrific at the outcome of it. There is not a single person I think could watch what happened to George Floyd and say, and can make a case that any part of that was right. So how any human being could watch that and not be so horrified by how that happened right. and mad. I mean, I, yeah. anger, absolute yeah. anger that to another human being. And I think that's led to a little more urgency. I hope that you know, yeah. something good can come out of that because I mean, I can't imagine yeah. anymore. I mean, my son's a police officer. He called me that night and said, dad, I am so mad. So, and I think, Kyle, if you think about it, when we think about Molly, um, the work, the workplace, the other thing that we've been trying to do, and I, I think I mentioned it earlier in the in the conversation today, but it, it is so so important that everybody that that leaders especially understand diversity, um, and so because they'll understand if they can resonate with it, it doesn't matter what color you are, what what nationality you are, what your sexual orientation is. If you can resonate with the with what diversity really means, then that begins to change your mindset about and thinking about diversity in other ways, as opposed to just being concerned about I have to get more black people in my company or more women in my company. 
you're thinking about diversity in a different way. And so I, I do see some of that. I also see some light bulbs going off in front of our, our leaders when we have these conversations. And my hope is that that change that contributes to long-term change in the organizations. I'll give you an example of that. And you can see this on our podcast, our podcast as well. We interviewed the uh, CEO of Green State Credit Union when it was a great conversation. But one of the changes he's had over the last year, again, this is pre-George Floyd, one of the changes he's had in the last couple of years is he discovered that someone in his life um, leads a different lifestyle than he agrees with. And he, he didn't go into detail, and I respected him for that, but what he found out is for 30 years of his life, he felt one way about a certain group of people until one of those certain groups of people landed in his family and he had to face it in his family. And that changed him, right? Learning, opening his ears and having to learn about that individual's lifestyle in his circle changed his life. Now, what does that do? That changes his perspective office because he's the decision maker he's the bottom line drive that and he's using that and he's talked to us openly about that and he's that was a reflection moment on him as a leader and he's almost embarrassed that 30 years of his life he felt one way and now he feels another another way and my uncle always tells me he's the president of the NAACP in Cedar Rapids he always tells me just meet them where they're at Anthony and he used to tell me that about myself meet people where they're at if they're willing to change, you have to meet them where they're at. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're seeing some changes, but we're continuing to try to meet meet leaders, meet companies where they're at. Um, and, and how can we take this journey with you? I love that. Yeah, I think I mean we're we're at a we're at a tipping point in my mind right now. We've got, you know, the the George Floyd. I mean, I it's more than just George Floyd, right? There, yeah. there, we have to be honest that there, there are systemic issues uh, around our country that need to be addressed. And in my opinion, we're at a tipping point where a corporation can say all they want and they can have all these overarching goals, but where it really matters is is the actions that we take yeah. day in and day out. Yeah. And and, and we're as as organizations, we're going to be expected to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I like you called out. Um, you called out the uh, generational diversity, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing. Diversity is so much broader than race, right? Yes, uh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, but here's, so we'll go back to this statistics because I'm kind of a statistics wonk and I, I, I always yeah. kind of revert back to here, but in a, in a recent survey, if you look at millennials, which uh, they're, um, they're not really the younger generation anymore because no. they're like Gen in their mid thirties and have three kids and, Mortgage, but um, 75% of them would take a pay cut to work for a more socially responsible company. Yeah. 76% consider a company's social commitments before accepting a job, and 64% would not accept a job if an employer does not have a strong corporate responsibility practice. Yeah. So, okay. So, there's a business case. If you're running an organization and you need to survive beyond the next 10 years, Absolutely. You need to change. And then if you look at Gen Z, which is born 1997 and later, they believe, 72% believe that racial equality is the most important issue today. And 36% say equality is the most important cause that they want their employer to support. So yep. that, that that opinion is not changing. So oh. I just had an interview literally before this podcast. And this 
individual that I interviewed had quit her job already. Her last day is like Sunday. And I'm like, why are you quitting your job already? You don't have another job. What is happening? Uh-huh. Um, her response is exactly that, what you just said, Kyle. She did not like something that upper management, that leadership did and didn't handle it the right way and that aligns with her values and her missions. And she's like, I'm just, I'm done. I'm not doing that. So I thought that was awesome. It's really refreshing, um, at least in my circle to see the variety of friends that my my kids hang around with and spend time with, because these are the people that are going to run our world in 20 years. Um, and that's how they see life. And so you 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 can't, it, it used to be, if you remember, remember there was always a time, don't bring your personal life to work, don't bring politics to work. That's impossible. That's impossible, right? We spend the bulk of our lives, eight, 10, 12 hours a day with other people to make a buck. How do you tell somebody that spends darn near half of their life working that they can't bring half of their life with them to work, right? So it's an interesting dynamic. On that note, you know, one question that I have and that I think a lot of our listeners and HR and business leaders will face and have faced is the challenge between how do we support our employees that have police officers within their family and also our employees in the black community, because it seems that social media or what I'm seeing has made it like either one or the other. Mm-hmm. How do we as leaders support both of those individuals and create that inclusive yeah. environment during this time? <laughs> yeah, that's it's well, you're looking at two of us right now. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I believe my, my belief is you have to have more one-on-one conversations and, and those conversations have to happen, particularly with middle management who deal with the bulk of your, your teams on a day-to-day basis. Um, there's a matter of respect. Um, and, and to Nick's point, we're dealing with that literally as we, as we speak. Um, here, here's, here's Nick and I, two business partners, one black, one white. Nick knows how I feel about law enforcement and his son's a police officer, right? But we talk to each other. Now, maybe we're fortunate because we're friends and there's probably some good fortune in that we're able to have those types of conversations, but you have to be able to, that's as difficult of a conversation to have as it, as it is about race, how you feel about police officers. And there's always a race component. So my belief is that more one-on-ones, more small group discussion, um, maybe you bring somebody in from the outside to facilitate conversation because they're valid, right? Police officers all, all aren't bad, but if we have to acknowledge what's happening in society and, and it shouldn't have taken one man to wake everybody up. What needs to happen though is, at least in my opinion, we all, all of us have to be careful about this, right? Just like we were talking earlier about organizations that have to watch the optics in terms of what they're trying to do to jump on the diversity and, and equity and inclusion engagement uh, bandwagon. At the same time, we, it's important that underserved populations, particularly black people in this situation, not continue to play the blame shame, right? Blame and shaming doesn't help anybody, right? I can, I can sit here and say, Molly and Kyle, you know, your ancestors did all this to my ancestors. You know, it's your fault, right? There's, when we can break down those barriers to have conversation and understand this is going to be difficult, but it's important that we respect each other. Tell me how you feel. And if you're willing to take arrows, you have to be willing to take arrows to give arrows. Those are those are difficult on this conversation. So I would encourage a lot of one-on-one talks. And it may be just with two managers, right? 
you, you may be putting fires out depending on your company. If you got multiple locations, my goodness, your location in Iowa is much different than your location in Atlanta. You know, you're having a heck of a problem up here in, in Iowa, not having those problems in Atlanta. So you have to be able to gauge your staff. But I, I'm a big believer in one-on-one conversations. And I've been having a lot of them to exhaustion. Like, like black people are exhausted talking about this, right? But it's such good work. It's such important work to be able to talk because I believe I've been able to help some people go help their family members and go help their coworkers because I listened and I didn't shame and blame as I was explaining what is really going on in this world. Right? So I, there's a, there's a tact, but it has to be done and you have to have those difficult conversations. They just work better in small groups. So, yeah. so Nick, you have a son who's a police officer, correct? Is that what you said? He, he was until about a week ago. Now he's, now he's, taking, he's home with his ba- new baby for a while. So, Awesome. Um, so, so Anthony and I had a lot of discussions about this and, and, and I think, I think in the end, you have to be willing to acknowledge that you may not necessarily hundred percent agree with someone, but you understand their point. It goes back to being in their shoes too. Right now I have my own feelings about police officers and law enforcement. In, in my mind, it's like, it's like a airline pilot. You can't have a bad one. That's not a place you have someone that's not good at what they do. Um, or that has bad, has, has, uh, any kind of bad vibe about it. You know, it's just one of those things that it's, it's there. But at the same point, you know, when my son went out at night, I was deadly afraid that something might happen to him. Mm-hmm. And he, he had that feeling as well. Now I happen to know that the way I raised him was, was, was not to not see color, but to see it and embrace it and see differences in people and talk to people like human beings. And, and so I know that, you know, if there were more like him, the world would be a better place, but that's not the reality of it. And, and that's not the reality of things in these inner cities. And, and the reality is there's statistics that show that there's a racial disparity on, with law enforcement. And, and I think when you see people come up the argument, well, yeah, but they kill white people too, or they do. Uh, you know, they, they bring out these other things and they throw it out to confuse it. This is the issue. The issue is there's a disparity with minorities with law enforcement. It, it doesn't mean that there's not things that happen with white with <laughs> excuse me with law enforcement and white people too. It's that there's a disparity. And how do we fix that? And how do we change the world and change people's thinking to help fix that problem? Right. We have to stick to the problem. And, and that's, that's why I think it's and that's why it has to start from the top. Yeah, we got to stick to the issue. And, 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 and I think having those real discussions, including with law enforcement people like my son, because these aren't always easy discussions with him either because he's very proud of what he does. And, and he should be. But not all are the same. And we need to have these discussions. And we need to break the cycle of this disparity and of these right. bad things happening and you know to me it's like a big ramp right you're building up you're like going up the roller coaster and it's like clickety clack clickety clack we're going up and you know you're going over that hill if you don't like roller coasters you get up the dang ride well we need to get off that ride because that roller coaster is not working right that ride's not working and things need to change and i think that i think what we're getting to now is the point where people are starting to see that middle ground more and having those discussions and i hope it continues I hope this isn't just a, a year from now. This is all faded away. In, not not in everyone. I mean, it's not going to fade away, but in the general public, the general right. consensus among people. I just hope it doesn't fade away. Yeah. 
Um, I hope this, this dialogue continues, and I hope this 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 urgency to change continues, but it needs to. Yeah. Agreed. Well said. Well done, guys. In my organization, I, I had a number of people who very strongly against any sort of work from home, but we got to a point where we didn't have a choice. Right. And we won't retain work from home permanently in some cases, but there, from my perspective, it's been a great tool for inclusion because it's allowed us to connect people because we're very spread out geographically yeah. to connect people in completely different regions of the world to come up with a great idea, better solution, learn from uh, my organizations in China on how they dealt with coronavirus. You know, those kinds of those conversations were integral to making great decisions as yeah. we looked at our organizations in the U.S. And so the world for me like shrunk. It just it's yeah. and, and quickly. So it's been it's been pretty shocking. I think that's important because as you think about diversity, um, what drives them, you have globalization, innovation, technology are driving diversity. Um, you know, we were on a pod, uh, Cedar Rapids had their EntreFest. They did it virtually this year, their business EntreFest, where they, they do every year. And uh, we did a live podcast, a virtual podcast there. And one of the gentlemen, one of the CEOs we interviewed was from a company called Catalyte. I'll send you information on it. But they demonstrated, they hire software engineers, and they demonstrated statistically, and they've got years of research on it and years of success stories that they can find a software engineer that didn't go to MIT, that didn't go to Stanford. They could find a software engineer in a coffee shop in Brooklyn, New York, and turn that person into a software designer in a matter of months. And what they've discovered is that they, I think the owner uh, had a science, had a neurological background, a, a science background, and understood the learning capability. And so they, they test people. They don't really call them tests, but they've created these tests and these assessments that a test. So they don't care what you score on the test. They are watching how you answer questions, how you learn. And when they they have a formula in their algorithms and the things they do and they discover when these individuals that hit this certain score have a propensity to be problem solvers and they're analytical, they would be good software programmers. And they are finding software programmers all over the world that don't have degrees. I, the, the last software person they found, they talked to us, they found her in a coffee shop in Brooklyn, New York somewhere. Um, and now she's one of their top software designers. Um, but again, that's using technology aids in diversity. And it's going to continue as you think about remote, remote workers, you think about people with disabilities that can run circles around a lot of us who are used to technology working from home because that's their life. Yeah, that's another candidate pool, right, that we can tap into or expand. So there's all kinds of advantages. I'm always trying to look at the silver lining. I'm always trying to look at the silver lining. Nick, why don't we start with you? What are your uh, what are your final thoughts? What what would uh, you like to share with our listeners? Well, just, you know, thanks again for, for having us on and ha having these discussions. Uh, you know, we believe that, that this dialogue is what what continues the, the journey along. And and uh, you know, if if they need help, we're here for them. And if if they don't want, there's other people out there too that'll help them. So. Uh, you know, get on the board, get on board and get on the journey and, and, and you know, let's make things uh, a better place for all of us. Yeah. That's great. Anthony, you're up. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I like to remind everybody of what I call brush your teeth moments. Um, and I'm coining that. So if anybody takes it, I'm going to sue you. Um, but 
every day we have an opportunity when we're by ourselves, whether you're brushing your teeth or in the shower, or using the bathroom. I, I just choose brush your teeth. But all of us have those moments when we're just by ourselves or with our own thoughts, our own selves. I just want your, your listeners, as, as particularly your leaders, to think about diversity and equity. Think about themselves in that space. Think about their diversity beyond color, beyond gender, and, and really think about how you can make an impact. If you could just take two minutes a day to think about how can I impact somebody today? Do, maybe it's doing something different, right? If you can just do one thing different every day, one thing that's impactful and, that, uh, and is impactful around diversity and equity, that would be that would be lovely. So I hope that your, your listeners will do that. Brush your teeth moment. Brush your teeth. <laughs> Brush your teeth and go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I think that's, that's right. Those are the quotes. There you go. Brush your teeth show. And go to Buffalo Wild Wings and start a business, right? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Great conversation. Uh, really appreciate both of your perspectives. I think add a lot of value and and uh, thoroughly enjoy the conversation. We and, appreciate uh, you having us. Absolutely. Yeah, so check out uh, Anthony's on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. He's probably on a bunch of other social media. He's pretty much everywhere. Host of Diversity Straight Up podcast. You can find Nick Ford on LinkedIn. And uh, and if you are interested to learn more about Top Rank, uh, you can uh, check them out on TopRankTalentSolutions.com. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes. So thanks again. Much Thank appreciated. You. Thank you guys so much. You guys Thanks, are Molly. killing it, making an Thanks, impact. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Molly. We appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guest. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the film of this podcast. Baby.